Welcome back to the Coach and Kernan Show. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined by my Hall of Fame co-host, Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer, and our favorite scout in America, Colorado Rockies' Will George. We're here today on episode 59 of Real Voices of the Game on the Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. We have a special guest today. We actually bumped him up because we think this time of year is, is very appropriate to what he does. Jeff Schaefer, former major league player, five seasons in the bigs, eight plus seasons in the minors, I think uh, close to nine, 14 years in total. But what Jeff did as a player is amazing. And we'll talk about that today, how he grinded his way up um, from the from Long Island. Uh, we, we get him with the Port Jefferson A's all the way to Maryland, all the way to the, to the bigs. But what he's doing outside of baseball is so significant um, and it links back to his time. So uh, enjoy this whole show today with Jeff. Uh, Jeff's got a phenomenal background as a player, but you're going to hear things today about his Carolina Baseball Center and, and uh, in Dreams Field out in Charlotte, but it's connected with the You Deserve a Chance Foundation. He partnered with CMR, which is an affiliate of RBI Baseball, to form the Not Whole Foundation, and also involved with USA Baseball. Now, just a phenomenal background, but what he's giving back to community and kids is even more amazing than we did as a player. And Jeff, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, guys. And that was a tremendous intro. Can you do it again? I will. I've done <laughs> recording. I'll send it to you. It can be your, your, your ringtone. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we, we, we've had, uh, we love the guests we have on because as the titles, title indicates, Real Voices of the Game, today's state of the game, um, we need to have more people like you involved with kids all the way up through the pro levels. And, and, and I want you to start our audience today, which, Jeff, just so you know, we talked off the air. 42 countries we're heard in right now. We're heard in all the way from the grassroots levels to parents, which we all know need the message maybe more than anybody, all the way up to front offices. And so your message is going to be here loud and clear today, and we're excited about it. But I want, because I think this is important to your overall story. Um, take us back to, to baseball on Long Island when you were a kid, when you were listening to the the Mets and Yankees on, I think it was a WOR and WPIX were those the two stations uh, back then. So, and then, you know, talk, take us back to baseball for you in Long Island as a kid. Well, I think, I think I had the first uh, manual remote control ever made. Uh, I took a stick and I carved the end out and I could put it on the knob of the TV and I could go from and sit in my bed and turn it left and right and go from the, uh, channel nine to channel 11 PIX to OR and watch baseball you know, over and over and over again. So that, I mean, you know, there wasn't much on TV. There wasn't many options back then, obviously. And if you were a sports fan, that's what you dove into completely. I grew up a Yankee fan, uh, but I watched all baseball. I loved it. Um, you know, we're, we're in an age of uh, everybody feels like lessons are critical. It, I think it's made the player more robotic. It's made him more sterile where I grew up on Long Island in a period of time where, you know, you watch the games on TV and then you went outside uh, with your friends, not with family there, not with anybody else. And you emulated all the players that were uh, that you saw on TV. So always the competition, you know, where I grew up in, uh, in, in Patchogue on Long Island, uh, we would have to either be the Mets or the Yankees. And whatever team you were, you had to go to the plate and you had to emulate that guy's batting stance. So you'd play one through nine. You'd be, uh, you know, if, if it was, uh, you know, Bobby Mercer at the time or Willie Randolph or somebody along those lines, you know, you would have to uh, you'd have to know their batting stance and you'd have to, you know, know their number. And we would announce it. We would do everything. We actually um, – we actually – used to go around when the mailman would come early in the morning and he'd put out the samples of soap powder. We would go get our bikes with baskets on it because we all had paper routes back then. And we'd fill up our baskets with the soap powder and we'd go down to the local, uh, you know, grass field or whatever, and we'd line out our own fields. Um, so, it, you know, baseball was baseball was everything. Um, to me in terms of, uh, you know, what I wanted to, what I wanted to do more than play football or basketball, which we did, uh, all three seasons. My family was a baseball family. My father was a, uh, minor leaguer, uh, for one season in the Cincinnati Reds organization. My uncle was, uh, drafted, well, not drafted at the time. It was him and Carl Ustremski head to head on Long Island in basketball and baseball. Uh, and they would, they would fill, they would fill stadiums and, and basketball courts, uh, whenever they competed against each other. Um, Ustremski signed with Boston. Uh, my uncle was offered a contract by the Yankees, but my grandfather was an old German baker that came over from the, from Germany and didn't understand, uh, baseball or anything like that and couldn't figure out how somebody could make money 
playing a sport. Um, and at that time, my uncle was 17 years old, so he wasn't eligible to sign unless he had consent. And my grandmother took him down to uh, the recruiting service, and he joined the Navy. Um, so baseball has been in our blood. To answer the question, I, you know, it was it it was something that uh, you know you did as a group from the time you were in little league to the time you got to high school. Uh, and it was the same group of guys all the way through. You became, uh, you know, not just teammates, but family and friends. And it was just, it was our community. And you, you kind of stayed with community a little different than today's baseball, where, you know, once, once your check clears in today's world of travel baseball, now you get a spot on the team, but you, you had a great experience, um, all the way through, but specifically with your Connie Mack team, uh, it was a Port Jefferson A's uh, to talk a little bit about that team and, the trip to New Mexico that you took first team ever, if I remember to, to do what you did. It was the first team from the East to, uh, to win the Connie Mack world series. We had, we had some special talent on that team and it was actually a group of guys through long Island. So, and what was interesting about it, you know, with the recruiting processes and everything going on now and kids being, uh, popped at, you know, as freshmen or sophomores, I was finished with high school and it was between high school and, um, and going off to college that, uh, this Connie Mack team was put together and we had a former major, another former major league player by the name of Neil Heaton on that team. And Neil pitched 10 years in the big leagues, went to the university of Miami. Um, but we had, we had to fight our way all the way through long Island, the regionals. And again, we were just, you know, we, none of us really expected anything from the game other than, you know, let's just play the game as long as we possibly can. Everybody was excited for Neil. It was fun to be involved in that group because every scout out there would come to every single game, uh, watch Neil pitch. But then as soon as Neil was done after four innings or whatever, they would fold up their chairs and leave. Uh, but we had, a, we had a solid group of players. We went on to uh, win Long Island. Then we went in to play. Uh, uh, we went into the uh, New York State Regional and we faced Viola and Franco and and, and um, we uh, we beat them both. We had to win two games to move on. And uh, got on a plane a couple weeks later, heading to Farmington, New Mexico. So for a bunch of guys from Long Island that really never left the island, uh, maybe except to go to Madison Square Garden and watch the Rangers of the Knicks, that was pretty much the extent of it. We um, we flew out to Farmington, New Mexico. We got off the plane. We knew no better, so we all went and bought cowboy hats and walked around like we were something, you know, like we were part of the culture out there. Uh, and we, uh, it, it, the, the beauty of this team. Um, wasn't so much that, you know, we, we got out there. It's just how we got out there for one, where we came from two, And the third piece was we didn't even have uniforms that matched. We were, and then we get out to the Connie Mac world series, which is this big event, which nobody has any idea what we're doing. Cause we only competed on long Island and it didn't matter if you had a different uniform or not, we were just playing baseball. And, um, you know, we're coming up against team Puerto Rico and teams from California and teams from all these other places. And they got nice bags and shoes and all this other stuff. And, it, you know, it, it was kind of in the beginning, a little bit in awe, but at the end it was just, you know, we're just as good as these guys, you know, back then the, um, the fallacy of the myth was that, you know, guys from Texas and, and California, they were born to be baseball players. They were born to go to the big leagues and we were just a bunch of, you know, we, you know, lack of better term, Long Island rednecks. We drove trucks and lived on the beach and, um, you know, showed up and played baseball and went home. And you said at that time it was at the end of high school, kind of transitioning to college. I know you're involved heavily with helping kids reach that goal of, you know, using baseball to get a college degree and go beyond, but uh, especially hopefully. What was your recruitment process like as you transitioned from Connie Mack to, I won't spoil where you ended up, but tell us <laughs> that story. So it's a very interesting story. Um, I was not recruited by, by a school, by anybody ever. I had no, I had no recruiting experience. Nobody, nobody wanted a, uh, a five foot six, five foot seven, 135, 140 pound second baseman. Nobody. Uh, my stepdad, another, uh, played with the Dodger rookies. My stepdad at the time, uh, he saw some abilities in me and, um, he reached out to the head coach at the university of Maryland where he was this head coach's first captain. Uh, my father was an all ACC catcher. My stepdad was an all ACC catcher, uh, good player. And he said he can run. He can throw, he can feel, you're going to knock the bat out of his hands the first year. Um, so he said, let me come, let me come see him play. So he came, he came up to see some, see a, a workout or whatever. And I stepped in a hole and sprained my ankle before he could ever see me do anything. Uh, he came to my house that night because of obviously the re relationship between my father and this coach and uh, met myself and my mother and 
um, my mother proceeded to, uh, to uh, feed him about two bottles of wine. And at the end of the night, he said, just send them down. We'll take them. And, uh, and uh, so at that point, <clears throat> you know, uh, we had a little bit of time in between and my father said, okay, you're going to the university of Maryland. And, um, I went on to campus, not knowing where I was going, what I was doing. I had no concept of what the ACC or SEC or anything like that was. All I knew was, you know, I was going to get a chance to play baseball a little bit more. Um, and then, uh, and then, um, I got on to, uh, I'm sorry, the Andrew, hurry up, please. <laughs> um, they got on to, uh, campus and, uh, I'm sorry about that, guys. No, no, go ahead. It's fine. The alarm went off in the studio. Um, I got onto campus and just started to realize that, hey, there's there's an opportunity here to do something different uh, in terms of, you know, going forward. Um, so I just started to – I made a decision to put an effort into it and to see how far we could go and what could be done. Now, like with So when you're – these kids' education nowadays, they walk out of a tournament when they're 12 years old, they're thinking – they're getting scores on their launch angle, their exit velocity, their ranking. They're talking about the draft. And as we know, it's very unlikely that any of these kids are getting drafted. Um, talk about the moment when it clicked for you. Because up to that time, when you thought of draft, probably like I did when I came through, I was thinking military draft, not MLB draft. But uh, talk about how when it started to click for you at Maryland. Um, I was fortunate enough to go in in the fall and compete for a job. And I, and I started as a freshman. And, you know, you hear the stories then out of the ACC, the different guys that were being drafted, um, you know. And, again, it was the same question. Like, what do you mean being drafted? Is that, you know, is that military? Is that army? They said, no, you drafted into pro ball. And Maryland had, obviously, guys ahead of me that were drafted. Um, so I just started to follow the processes. Like, what does it take to be there? What are these, what are these people looking for? Um, do I stack up with all the other guys in the ACC conference? And, uh, and it, it worked out. So again, it was a decision that I had to make. It was a decision that I had to make, um, like every other decision in our lives, you know, I made a decision to go ahead and put the effort in to kind of change what I was coming off Long Island in terms of, you know, nobody that really took the game serious, loved to play the game, didn't realize, you know, uh, you know, that your body becomes your temple, you know, your, your mind becomes just as important as a player as your abilities, uh, kind of studied up on it and, you know, just I, I, I took it and I put it into practice and um, I started to see results. And, and then all of a sudden people, you know, then I started to hear after my sophomore year, which I had, I had, a, I, I think I hit 247, 245, something like that. My freshman year, I think my sophomore year I hit 350. Um, so I started to see the changes. I knew I was good defensively. I knew I was a good athlete. I knew I, uh, you know, I caught everything that came my way. Um, and then scouts started to show up and, First question was who they here to see, and somebody told me they were here to see me, and you know that that notched it up another level. You know, I didn't take it for granted; I took it for an opportunity. That's great, Kevin. Go ahead. You had a question, Jeff. Uh, you know, the, your 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 trip was uh, pretty amazing, and it's a great story. How do um how do you pass that along to the kids today? Because it's such a different world on how they view things, and and much I I think in a way it's it's. It's not nearly as fun for these kids as it was for us when we played. I had a very similar experience, uh, you know, playing growing up in New Jersey, playing right through high school, through college. And, it, you know, we, we had a blast. What, what, what do you do today to make it to get these kids to understand it's more of a game than uh, than anything else and uh, just relax and play ball? Uh, Kevin, thank you. That, that's a great question. And, and, and it's brought up. I bring it up often what, what we've lost, what we had, and we're very fortunate, you know, in the year that we played for played coming through, I feel that those guys were better baseball players. I think these guys are bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, I think we had baseball was an experience for us. It was fun to play. There wasn't the pressures of, you know, am I going to get drafted? Am I going to go to college or play? And if I go to college three years there, can I get drafted? If I don't like the situation, can I jump in the portal? Can I leave? And the pressures, we never had the pressures as kids. I, and I talk about kids. I'm talking about little league age kids, right? We never had, we never had those pressures. We had, you know, we just played, we had, we had absolute complete enjoyment. Um, and, um, that was what it was all about for us. It was all experience. It was all experience for, um, uh, you know, for us, it wasn't, I'm looking for an opportunity. I need to play for this team. I need to play for that uniform. So I tell like, try to explain to the kids and the families in the beginning of the season, 
don't forget what these kids are out here for. They're out here because they why they're out here. They're out here because they enjoy playing the game. And now the pressures of, you know, a perfect game, um, a PBR, all these other things have put pressure on these kids that's unnecessary. Am I on social media? Do people think I'm, you know, think I'm special or, you know, I need to get so many likes because I got home, I hit a home run last night. Something. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So what I try to do is I try to get them to mentally block that out okay. and go out and play and learn how to play the game. Because if you learn how to play the game the right way and you're not a showcase kid that's worried about four throws, I mean, two throws a third, two throws to home, five ground balls, 16 swings, and somebody's <laughs> going to evaluate you, yeah. it's brutal. It's just not fair. It, it is absolutely not fair. So I try to get these kids – uh, in, in a scenario where they're enjoying they're, they're enjoying themselves, we're having fun in the dugout, there's no pressure to it, and that every moment, and Will and I had this conversation the other day, every moment on the field is a teaching moment. Whether a positive or a negative, it's, it is a teaching moment. And to understand that, you know, we're going to take care of our business here on the field with nobody else influence, influencing us, and, um, and, then, and then move forward and enjoy it. And it's so hard to get these kids to understand that, you know, you're going to look back and you're going to say, man, I hated the pressure of that. I don't want to go to the game anymore because it was just not fun. Um, you know, I mean, this game is supposed to be generational. It's supposed to be passed down. Um, and it, the way that it's getting passed down now it, from the parents to the kids is just it's not fun. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, very much. Well, go ahead. You had a question? Yeah, just uh, a couple things. You know, on, on that point of teaching moments, that's one of the disappointing things I see at the higher levels of minor league baseball. There's teaching moments every day. They're not yelling moments. They're not screaming at the player. It's put your arm around the player and say, hey, you know, can't do that. This, you know, this is what needs to happen. I, I don't see that happening. And then the result of that is on the field, the, the, the game is not being played at the same level. And like you said earlier, Jeff, baseball had so many better baseball players, better pitchers. The physicality stuff doesn't make you better. No. You know, the exit velocity and the, and the home run distance doesn't make you a better baseball player. The high spin rate and high velocity doesn't make you a better pitcher it's being a good baseball player or a good pitcher is what makes you better. And um, on a lighter thing, uh, you got drafted by the Orioles, as did I. Was Dick Bowie your signing scout? Yes, he was. Dick, I, I, I love Dick Bowie to this day. And, yeah, um, he was. A tremendous guy. And, you know, interesting, Will, because I went to I went to Bluefield, which, you know, that's, uh, that's the that's – the, Stepping stone to the Orioles organization, yep. you know, rookie ball, um, beautiful, be- beautiful place to play. I mean, one of the best hitting backgrounds I've for, ever been for hitters, well, for yeah. hitters. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But so Dick, Dick was that guy. And interesting, you know, we look at, we talk about scouts and things today, you know, scouts will show up at games, right? And the, the sad part about it is not everybody takes in and outs anymore. Yeah. Really, They, they take yeah. their BP and go. So Dick would show up every day before anybody got on the field and he would sit down and he would sit and he would watch every move that I made Yep. Um, during BP. If, if it was like, uh, you know, last swing, you got to run the first. It wasn't like put the ball in play and jog the first and look as cool as you can with, you know, your, yeah. uh, your oven mitt hanging out your back pocket and your, you know, your elbow guards and all that other stuff on. So, you you know, he would make sure that is this kid going to run a ball out to first base when he's just taking BP? Okay, that's a plus, right? Um, you know, how, how many ground balls is he going to take? And when he's taking ground balls, is he actually just going through the motions to feel ground balls, feel them with one hand, just kind of flipping? Or is he doing what he's supposed to be doing and playing and taking his practice like it's a game? And so yeah. – um, and again, I was undersized. I was fortunate enough to be an all ACC player my my junior year. I was undersized. Um, you know, scouts will tell you, oh, yeah, you can be anywhere from a three to five round guy. I was in a I think I was an 11th round pick. And um, but, you know, Dick knew something that other people didn't. He knew he baseball. Was- he, he knew baseball players. He knew a guy that, you know, was going to help an organization. Um was he betting on me going to the big leagues? I don't think anybody was betting on me going to the big leagues. Well, you know, back then they drafted organizational guys. Yeah, you know? but I, you, you know, I also remember going in as a first year Oriole guy. I got drafted in the fifth round out of high school, and you know, one of the things that they said, 
that the scout that signed you, we have really good scouts here. They don't sign you unless they think you can play in the big leagues. And I think that, you know, you know, that's why the Orioles organization was a good organization. And I also think that's why every player that was in the Orioles organization was treated with respect, whether they were the first round pick or the 30th round pick mm-hmm. or well, they signed I, I, as a free agent. So, um, you know, I, 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 you know, but Dick was a great scout and uh, I was going to ask you what kind of wine your mom served because, <laughs> because when magic. he came to, it was magic. <laughs> see, when he came to my house, my mom made homemade meatballs and sausage and pasta go. and served yeah. some wine, and they wouldn't give me any more money than they had said over the phone. But <laughs> they themselves uh, to come back for dinner, I'm sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think I think that you know, maybe you know, you're probably right, and Dick probably did see that in the reports, you know. Um, but yeah. you know, for me, my make my makeup was, I, I always had to put myself in the underdog situation. You know, right. like, I was just not that guy that was going to go. I was never going to be the first pick on anything I ever did, um, but I was always going to be picked somewhere along the way. So you know, for me to go, okay, these guys don't believe that I can go to the big leagues and watch what I can do, um, and. You know, you know it, but that's why you got cool. traded, and baseball people always found that. Yeah. Good baseball people found baseball players. Whether, you know, David Eckstein started with the Red Sox but finished with other organizations because people recognized in that time that he was a good baseball player, as people recognized as, you know, you ended up getting traded and playing in the big leagues because – there might not have been a fit for the Orioles, but the other organizations recognize that. Yeah, the or- I, I listen. I got a special place in my heart for the Orioles forever, and yeah, and, and Tom Giordano because I, you know, the Cal was in front of me, Billy was yeah. coming up behind me, and right. whether I felt like I was a better defensive player or player than Billy or not, that's you know, that's for me to determine and or feel. Uh, but it wasn't going to be Ripken to Schaefer to Murray. It was going to be Ripken to Ripken to Murray, no matter right. what. With with right. Cal Ripken Senior, you know, managing the yeah. team. So I got it, and I think that I did all the right things in the organization. Listen, I was sent up and down, you know, disappointed at times. But whenever I got wherever I got to, whether I was getting sent up or getting sent down, that was I was th- that was my big leagues, and I had to do everything I possibly can. And we talk about what this game gives you. I was thinking, I'm driving here today, kind of, kind of trying to feel like, okay, what, what's this conversation going to be like, whatever, and, you know, failures. And, you know, I, I learned that, you know, the disappointment of getting set down, you know, meant that how do I get myself back up and get where I think I belong? Not, okay, not fold up tent, because we saw that with a lot of guys, especially guys towards the end of their careers, right? They felt yeah. they should be in the big leagues. When a guy got sent down or somebody went up ahead of him, there was some mopey dudes in the clubhouse, man. And oh. it was just like, you know, Hey, we got a game to go play, boys. You know, yeah. and so yeah. pick yourself up. And if you want to carry yourself that way on, you know, on the field or in the dugout with us, then you, you just need to go. And we policed ourselves back then. Yeah, you know, we would, we, you know, we stepped up and said something to each other. And, yeah, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Now, guys, there's such a lack of leadership in the game at all levels, uh, from the players, even from most managers and coaches. You know, leadership takes the coaching moment every chance you get because there is a moment to help a player become a better player. It's not about – nobody wants to be a leader anymore. Everybody wants to be a social media star. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, We're developing branding people. I mean, I was I, I was in the dugout yesterday, and a, and a, and a kid – I love the kid – hit a home run, bat flipped – uh, pointing to the sky, pointing to his family, and as he's coming around, and I'm playing in a in a in a 16 year old tournament, right? And he didn't get the third base, and I was all in his grill, all in, all in his grill. And then the next day, he has he says to me, "Oh, one of the guys from the other team liked my uh, liked the home run I posted up on the thing." I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Right. Like you're still living on that home run you hit yesterday?" Yeah, you know, That's and close. and you're worried about somebody that liked it from the other team. Yeah, and that that part is the most difficult part for me to manage. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, it you is. want you want you want the grinders that show up and just I'm just here to win this game. Yeah. I'm gonna do whatever it takes. Uh I don't like you on the other side. Uh, but everybody loves each other now. It's, it's oh yeah, a lot of hugs. Kumbaya of- world, man. And all these fancy handshakes and the arrow stuff at second base. Oh and, uh not my not my world. <laughs> not no, my not world. At all. Well you're on the right show for that. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely in the uh yeah. The, the thing, that's why, well, we've said it many times in this show, Jeff, that um, 
and I've been saying it forever because I knew the kid first first in 2015. That's what makes Aaron Judge so special. Not yep. just the 62 yeah. home runs, but the leadership skills, the the parenting of you know the parents that he had, the way he approaches the game and the teammates. Yeah, I I wanted to ask you about. It was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, some of your Seattle teams that you on, some of the players you played for, there, there was some leadership on those teams too. Could you, could you explain uh, what it was like being teammates with some of the, some of those uh, pretty 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 big name players? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting because it was it was early on in their careers, right? Edgar right, Martinez. very early. So so you yeah. got it, and you're a veteran, so you you had a little bit of a window of how to look at these guys in a different way. Well, I want to tell you, I think one of the greatest, you know, you, ha- you have so many things that have come your way that you're you're proud of uh, in the game. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, I got a hit off Nolan Ryan. Uh, proud of that. You know, I I hit two home runs in five years. I'm proud of both of them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, what I think one of the things I was most proud of in that, organ- in that group, when Lance Parrish came over and was with us for a while, um, I got voted kangaroo court judge. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. and I was, so I remember I was 28 going on 29 when I got to the big league. So I was age wise, I was a veteran, um, you know, tenure wise, I, I necessarily only had maybe one year behind that, but you know, I think they saw that the way that I went about my business, listen, I was not the most talented player in the big leagues ever. And every time there was a decision being made as a 24th, 25th, 23rd guy on the roster, my name came up. I knew it. I used to say my shoulders started to get rounder and rounder as I was there longer because every time somebody walked through the clubhouse, I would like, like roll my shoulders in. So they wouldn't tap, tap me on the shoulder and say, skip, <laughs> skip wants to see you in the office. Um, uh, so, uh, but you know, I mean, the leadership at that time wasn't really there. Um, everybody was just kind of finding their way through. Um, you know, they would bring some veterans in. They brought Pete O'Brien over. They brought Lance Parrish over. Jeffrey Leonard was there. So there were guys that came in that you know had leadership roles in other organizations. But you know, you were dealing with you know a Griffey. Uh, I mean, you were dealing with some amazing talent at at that time. You know, um, Eric Hansen and Brian Holman. These guys were projected to be dudes. Um, it was a, a a very special group of guys, but. They were all trying to find their niche in the game, and they were all trying to get that experience under their belt. Um, it was fun playing in there because it was a bunch of kids, you know, that were extremely talented. They were loose. Um, I remember that the, one of the years I was there was the first time we ever finished over 500, and you would have thought we won the World Series. I mean, it was, you know, it was it was amazing. So it was it was interesting, but you know, again, that's the pieces that the Yankees have always been very good at. Um, you look at the story franchises: St. Louis, Los Angeles. They've always had that that presence in the dugout, and he didn't have to be a mouthpiece. He just had to have that presence that was leadership that everybody kind of fell in line with. Seattle didn't have that. Yeah, yeah, and I and and I know guys who were on your coaching staff, Mike Paul. Yeah. Uh, to this day, every time I talk to Mike, he always asks for you and That's good. Uh, absolutely loved you because of who you were. And like you said, you weren't, you know, you weren't a Hall of Fame player, but you were a big league player who had leadership. And, you know, he's told me stories about some of the fights that you ended up in the middle of, uh, which I don't yeah. doubt. Um, and, yeah. But that is missing. That is missing horribly all over the game. Yeah, it's 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 a tough game to watch. I love it. You know, I love this time of year because small ball comes back, bases are being stolen, we've got a bump, move guys over. Uh, you know, you are manufacturing runs because every single run and every single game matters. You can't go into a series going, "Hey, you know, eh, we could win two out of three on the road here, that'd be great, but if we come out one and three, we're fine." You know, no. You know, you lose today, there's major impact on you tomorrow. Yeah, um, and I think so- the biggest the biggest problem with that is the um and again, this is my opinion, not necessarily yours, but the nerds have overtaken the game and they, because they haven't been there and, and understand what, what, what clubhouses and leadership is like, everything becomes a number as opposed to being, um, there's a feel to the game. And, and baseball has lost its two things. It's lost, a, many, many of the players have lost a feel for the game and the game has also lost the romanticism that it once had. And, and I don't know if it'll ever come back simply because everywhere you look, another nerd is hired and, and, and they want to run things a certain way. And a perfect example, uh, and I, I want your guys' opinion on this. You were there, you know, you've been there and, and I haven't uh, at that level. But, you know, I've always I've been in baseball for 60 years in one way or another. And you know, last night we saw the gamesmanship where uh, Buck Showalter 
uh, basically, um, you know, put the um, umpires on alert, you know, to check out the pitcher and, uh, you know, uh, Musgrove. And and, um, and then afterwards, Buck said something like, uh, well, you know, I was getting information, you know, the information, basically what happened is the nerds were looking at the spin rate and said, hey, something's fishy going on here. And they kind of, you know, and then Buck went out and did the dirty work. Uh, I didn't like it myself. I, I understand what gamesmanship is all about, but I felt that was uh, when you're down for nothing. In the old days, I, I'm just curious how that would have went down. Um, we would have policed ourselves on the field. and Nothing <laughs> would have come down. And if something, if we thought something was up, somebody was going to get hit, something was going to happen, it was, it was going to change and everybody, and everybody would know. And the other team would expect it. Yes. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, trying to pick up signs or trying to change things. I mean, you know, let's go back to Phil Necro. Let's go back to the, yeah. uh, remember the Vaseline ball, the spitball, yeah. the files yeah. and the, you know, all this other stuff. I mean, we figured out how to take care of ourselves. And if you didn't stop it then, then we were going to do something and somebody was going to pay. It's funny that, you know, we'll go back to talking about the kid that hit the home run the other day. Um, and uh, Tim Kirk, who's one of our pitching guys in the air, pitches high as triple A, but our era, um, the kid walked in there and he said, you know what? In my day, <laughs> you would have gotten one in the ear next time up. But the other part about that was if I was on deck, I was getting hit. And then yes. you were going to get hit after yeah. that. It wasn't just one guy. It was going to be taken. Uh, there was going to be a message. And, and yeah. nobody got nobody got thrown out of the game for that. No. You know, it wasn't. I mean, you didn't. You know, if you pitch inside now or you show like you're trying to go up and in on 2 it's like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, where is that? Where the, the Bob Gibson was the master of that. Right. Roger Clemens was not afraid to go inside and throw that way. Dave Stewart wasn't afraid to go in and do it. Jack Morris wasn't afraid to come at you, you know, and you expect, you knew it. I mean, and that was part of pitching, you know, I mean, I could be sitting there. Oh, two thinking, okay, he's coming up and in on I me and he's going to throw a slider away. I'm toast. Jeff, you know? you know, you were a hitter. I'm amazed, you know, guys walk into the box, they put their hand up to the umpire hmm. and they dig a trench to China on their back foot. <laughs> That stuff never happened years ago, you know, you know, where people would be digging, 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 you no. know, because you, if you saw that as a pitcher, yeah. you made him uncomfortable. You made him move his feet. You know, you're not going to sit in there and dig a trench to China on your back foot. Well, you remember, you remember Mark Smith? Remember Mark Smith? Yeah, I was, uh, I was his teammate. He was a gold glove boxer from the DC area who, uh, I was in the middle of so many fights. <laughs> my my we were, three, four we years were, playing with him, we signed together, Smitty and I. We were here in Charlotte, and we're talking about policing and and making sure that you know everybody's territorial. You know, this is this by the time he's warming up in between innings, and the hitter is creeping closer to home plate, trying to get him time. Right. So Smitty reaches back, throws one about three feet over his head. Right. Right. The guy thinks it's by accident. Nope. Next one, he dunked them. <laughs> it was great. You know, but those were, you know, it's different times. And, uh, you know, so Dave, to go back to what you said, you know, I, I hate the fact that somebody as good as Buckshaw Walter has right. to listen to that, that's what's coming down right. from right. upstairs. Right. You know, that man right there is one of the best baseball minds in the game. And he's, yes, he is. and he's old school. And you know what? He knows what's going on. And, uh, you know, if, if, if it can't be fixed by them, then it can't be fixed. But some nerd up there, you know, telling you what's going on because, Spin rate is too high now. Well, um, you know, uh, Mark Wiley and I were texting. Bassett let them get into his head early in the game. You know what? Don't step off. Just keep attacking. Make force the umpire to tell the hitter get in the box. Yep. Yeah. You know that's that. You know we we took control of our ourselves in games. Yeah. You know we were. We were not waiting. Oh, okay. You want to keep stepping out on me? Like I, I was a fast worker. I wanted the, mm -hmm. you know, the Orioles taught work fast, throw strikes, change speeds. Mm -hmm. So that was my thing. I wanted to put hitters on their heels. I well, also let me jump in, Will Lee, uh, and I want your guys' opinion on this. Um, the pitch com thing got Bassett out of, out of, out of you know, he, he was letting that bother him. And of course, yeah. you know, you guys know I said this when it came out. Uh, we talked about it way back when. I said it's a joke. PitchCon's going to be a joke in the postseason. Yeah. Guys aren't going to be able to hear. So I, I think Bassett, who's kind of, he's more of an old school guy than a new school guy yeah. in a lot of ways. I think he let it, he let it all get to him. Yeah, yeah. That between that and the stepping out stuff, you know, um, you know, you force 
you force the umpire in the hitter's hand. You know what? Um, I, you know, you, you can't let that take you out. I mean, he has good control and command for him to have happen. What happened when he ended up walking the bases loaded and then giving up a hit to the number nine hitter, you know, he let, he let that get into his head and that was, that was not good for him. He's better than that. And Jeff, is that part of what, what's going on now with you trying to teach these guys the game? And if something is out of kilter a little bit, they kind of melt away a little bit. And I mean, that, that's a very extreme issue because no, they, it's a playoff game. But what do you see on your level with these guys? Well, if, if it's not just, a, you know, if the hot chocolate isn't just right, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. No, Dave, that, you know, you, you know, you, you try to teach these kids the, the mental part of the game, right? I mean, you have to be, especially get to the higher levels, we'll tell you, and you guys that have been around the game long enough. And, and Dave, you, you've written about people, you've sat down with guys that have been the greatest of the greats. And, you know, there, there's a mental toughness about somebody that gets to that level, right? There is, there's, there's a mental toughness and it has to be, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. Um, you gotta figure it out. What is, uh, you know, what's going to bring you back to the moment. Okay. What is, what's going to bring you back to the moment? What's going to keep you engaged? Um, And, and, you know, I tell these kids all the time, listen, there is coming a a point very, very soon in your career. So I'm coaching 16 year olds right now. I have had up 17s, 18s all the way down. There's going to come a point in your career when you look across the field and every guy in that dugout on the other team can do exactly what you can do physically. How are you going to beat them? And it becomes mental. So yeah. the inver- the inversion goes in the beginning of the lower levels, 95% of the kids that are bigger, stronger, whether athletic or not, dominate in the little leagues and all the way up. And that thing starts to tunnel out, and then it then it changes direction because you're eventually going to get around the athletes that are you. And when you're around those athletes, now you better be tougher than them mentally. So you can make a guy fold. You'll do it. Listen, I, I was a master in that. Here's a funny story with Omar Vizquel. Like, I would tell everybody all along, you know, I mean, guys would come up and whatever. I just want you to know I'm better than you, right? I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Omar, Omar Vizquel comes up and uh, we're taking ground balls together. And I'm upset because I, I played two straight weeks at short. I think I was hitting 280 in that period of time. We were, you know, like five games over 500 when I was playing. I'm like, I'm the man. I am the man. And uh, and here comes Omar. And Omar's taking ground balls with me. And I said, hey, kid. And I think he was 20, 21 at the time. I said, I want you to know something because I wasn't in the lineup that night. I said, I'm better than you. The only reason that you're starting is because you're younger than me and this team is younger. That's so, so remember that. So I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like melt his mind, you know? <laughs> That's and, great. So I'm, I'm sitting on the bench, we're in the kingdom and a fly ball goes up. And, and, and if you guys remember the old kingdom, that ceiling was not easy to. No, uh, I was there many times. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching Omar backpedal. He's just kind of, he's like going back and I'm like, he doesn't see it. He doesn't see it. And it's because his hands are down at his side. I'm like, this is, this is. And all of a sudden, he just windmills and snatches it out of the air like nothing I've ever seen before. And I said, well, guess that one's better than me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. He was uh, he was pretty special defender. But you know yeah, what? Go, go, back, go back go back to Omar, right? Go back to Omar and look at Jeter, right? And, and Kevin, you've covered Jeter for years, right? Yeah. If you were to put them on all the metrics and all that other stuff, did Jeter have tremendous exit velocity off his bat? No. no. Did he have a plus arm at shortstop? No. Did Omar Vizquel have a plus arm at shortstop? No. no. Yeah. Nothing. Cal Ripken, right? Cal was the master at reading signs from the catcher and positioning himself before the ball was hit. Yep. So those guys are gone. Those guys yep. are gone. They, if, you watch, if you watch infielders – other than the shift, right? Other than the, like everybody to one side of the field, they don't make adjustments on pitches. Nope. They stand in the same spot and they play for right too. there. Outfielders yeah. too. Now. Yeah. Well, you know the the St. Louis game against Philly. Um, I you know when they blew that lead late in the game, my gosh, the 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 reaction time and and Billy Ripken's done this a couple things that uh, he believes that infielders and outfielders because of all the pre pre-pitch cards are not setting up instinctively the way players did in the past. And, you know, guys are, you know, you, you know, their reaction is horrible and their range is not good as well. Yeah. No, again, I'm, I'm happy that the shift is eliminated and the reason that I'm happy that the shift is eliminated, it makes second base a a position again. 
It makes you got to have a strong middle. You got to have a good second baseman and a good shortstop because now you just put a guy that can drop 20, 25 bombs over there. And if he can catch a ground ball right at him, that's okay. Yeah. You know, right. now, so the athlete, the athlete to play second base is coming back. And the shame of that, though, the shame of all of that is if it was taken care of on the field, the shift never would have got to this point. Yes. Yeah. It, guys would have figured out how to hit. Exactly. Guys would have figured. And I, my, I maintain with the, the shift going away, these uh, guys that are just going to try to jack home runs, they're going to be even tried harder now because there's no, uh, you know, they made luck out here and there with a single where the shift used to be. So they're going to, it's going to be even worse. And one other point, and I'll let you address this as well, because because obviously your baseball knowledge is off the charts. All I'm hearing in the games now is expected batting average, uh, yeah. exit velocity. Meanwhile, the, the 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 nail in the coffin was Soto's little bouncer to the opposite field that got past, you know, third base because there's no third baseman essentially. And they get two more runs. Uh, we can't just have baseball in the postseason. We got to have baseball all the time. And I, I think that's a big problem with the game. A seeing eye ground ball through the right side of the infield with a man on second base that's going to create a bang bang play at home plate is more exciting than a home run. Absolutely. Way more. Way Absolutely. more. Agreed. Way more. So Jeff, with 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 the mindset that you created as a player and now as an instructor, all the experiences it's not just concept. You've put this to practice right now with your Carolina baseball center with the, you, you deserve a chance foundation. Um, we talked about it in the, in the, the pre-show combined with CMR and then now the not whole foundation. I don't want to let you out of here without talking about that stuff because you've had all these experiences as a young player. You, you kind of culminated those experiences through your time as a college and professional athlete. And now you're giving back uh, to kids, not just your baseball knowledge, but helping kids that maybe, um, get priced out of this new showcase baseball format. So talk about those, those foundations and those organizations that you're. I, I, pre- I appreciate you bringing that up because I, and honestly, I, you know, I, we talk baseball, we love baseball. Uh, we can, we can sit down and go through this all day long like that, but I am, I am honestly more proud of where I'm at in this game than where I was in this game. And I mean, as a big leaguer and everything. Now I had to be, I had to go through all that to get me here. Uh, to get me to this point, you know, when, when, when you hang up the cleats and Will will tell you and anybody else will tell you, you know, there, there is a serious period of reflection. That first spring training that you're not at is, is it's, it's a different animal. It's a different animal physically. It's a different animal mentally. Um, and you, you know, you just, you dig in and you go, how did that happen? Um, you know, and then you start to realize, you know, it happened because of people. It happened because, um, you know, my mother was a single mom. Uh, up until a period of time, you know, she drove a bus to provide us. She made sure I got to the field. She made sure I had a glove. She made sure I had a clean uniform, you know, all those other things. That was step one. My stepdad comes in. He's there for me. He sees something in me that nobody else saw. He helps get me get to the University of Maryland. The head coach at the University of Maryland, who's 93 years old at the, now, when I was there, is one of my closest friends. I talk to him. I talk to him probably every couple weeks. Um, just a great mentor, right? So you start to go back and you start to realize, okay, I had some abilities. I had some things that were, you know, that allowed me to get there. I was a major leaguer. I'm proud of the fact that, you know, for five seasons, I was one of the best 800 in the world. Um, I love saying that because it's pretty, if you think about the numbers, that's pretty special. Yep. Um, but, you know, I don't get there with without the help of somebody. And nobody gets there without the help of somebody. I don't care. These guys are superstars walking around like they're all that, you know, um, you know, you need people to help. Now, some people obviously have enough resources to do things. So we started You Deserve a Chance Foundation. It's it's UDACF.org. Um, and we always need help because we, we take every single penny goes to helping kids. Nobody takes a salary. Nobody does anything. We just dive it right back into kids and equipment and scholarships and things like that. So we started it for the reason that I had kids coming to our organization at CBC, which is Carolina's Baseball Center uh, here in Charlotte, and say, you know, we really love to be here, um, but we can't afford to travel or we can't afford the uniforms or we can't afford, you know, whatever. We got the point of like, what can you afford? And, and when I say that, I always preface it with, well, I always end it with, I don't preface it with, I always end it with, and make sure it doesn't put any stress or strain on your family. So if you tell me it's a dollar, it's a dollar. If you tell me it's a hundred dollars, it's a hundred dollars. You tell me it's, 
you know, I can do half, I can do half. And we always figured it out. Um, listen, I've, I've never had to ask for anything in my life for myself. Thank God for that. I've never had to go to somebody and say, I need this. I need that. I have no issues asking for somebody else that needs it. And so, you know, I always ask if you want to help, um, udacf.org, you can, you can make a donation and we'll change a life and you'll change a life, even though you may never see it. So that, that's our organization. Then Morris Madden is another former major league player. And what's interesting about Morris and I is that Morris is an African-American. He's a Democrat. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm as white as they come and I'm, and I'm a Republican. Um, and we have the same hearts. We have the same everything. We have the same intention for the kids. We have no issues on anything. Um, so Morris had his organization. I had mine. We came together um, to form Knothole Foundation, and we purchased some property together as two nonprofits. And we built this amazing three-field complex. It's all built by major. It's all major league spec. Uh, we have a small field uh, for little league age groups, uh, 10, 11, 12. Then we have a middle school field, and then we have a, a full-size 60-90 field that actually um, the twins have a kid out there right now that they're working them out um, out there on our, on our complex. So we created this place called the Knothole Foundation. And the Knothole Foundation, we came up with the name because if you guys remember, there's an old picture out there with uh, one kid standing on the back of another kid that's on his hands and knees, another two, two kids looking through these knotholes watching a baseball game. Yep because they couldn't afford to get in. So we changed the scenario of that. And we said, those kids now get to come in. Um, so we went with the knothole foundation. So they don't have to look through the knothole anymore, but they, they walk through here and uh, you know, all types of opportunities. We do, uh, we do a, uh, uh, an HBCU event. We do a, a free all-star game event. We do showcases that are minimal or whatever, that if we have to buy the hats or pay for umpires or pay for college coaches. So we're always trying to do something to enhance the game. Obviously, the more resources you have, the more programming we can do. Um, so I, you know, you know, and I appreciate you asking that because you can tell I, there's a passion to it. I love it. I love the kids. I love, I love to see players move on. Um, and even if they're not going to be baseball players. So Morris, Morris Madden, my partner, not whole always said, we're not here to make major league players. We're here to make major league citizens, good fathers, good, good community people, good church goes everything along the line that, that is pretty much pure. If we can help do that, then uh, that's the mission of not whole. You're also doing some work. I mean, this, this program is bigger than baseball too. You're also in the school system doing some, some other work. Too, like literacy. Yes correct. yes, correct. So we have a, uh, a reading literacy program from, from grades one through six. Um, we do ACT, SAT prep, here as well. And then we do financial literacy because when we built our complex, we're kind of in a title one community, which is basically below the poverty line. So we built this gem, this unbelievable facility right in the middle of uh, a place in Charlotte. It's on the West side, well over us, Tuckasegee. You'll know where that's yeah, right, yeah. right by, well, right by the airport yep. where they'd never expected to have anything like this in their community. You know, everything else has been run down, beat up. Not, not, the school system has, has ignored it. Um, so we, we, we've built this amazing facility, but inside of it, we have, uh, baseball is our conduit. So we bring these kids in to, you know, to enhance their lives. Um, we also do the financial literacy part that I was talking about because this community functions in cash. Yeah. And when they, when they do get out into the real world or they get a job or they have to go find a mortgage or they get, get a credit card to take care of certain things, they don't understand what the interest rates are, or how you have to pay them back or, you know, what the penalties and everything are. And then the next thing you know, they're upside down and they're in huge trouble. And that's just not for the African-American community. I'm not going that route or the underserved community. That's everybody. But yeah, we just happen to have, we just have to capture, happen to capture the people in this community. So we're, we're, we're helping with that. I think it's phenomenal. Um, as I mentioned in the pre-show, you said it was a great intro, but I think you lived up to that intro and then some. Uh, we, we never let a guest go. Kevin, I'll, I'll kind of turn this over to you because this is your baby here. But uh, we ask a special question of each guest when they finish, and I'll let Kevin kind of have at that. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple, and you answer it any way you want. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about you, but your thoughts on it. But what is it uh, – being a ball player, what does that really mean to you, being a ball player – and you can take your time with this one, but what does it mean to be a ball player? Okay, so being a ball player becomes your identity. That's not necessarily your character. So, you know, we walk, 
being a baseball player is a very selfish thing. And Will will tell you, you know, we're all trying to get to this certain spot in the game that nobody else got to, you know, that's, that's our moon and we're trying to get there. Um, so you create this, you know, this, this selfishness about you, unfortunately. Um, but you also find out things about yourself in that process. So it's, you know, it, it is, it is a transition. Um, but as you, as you, as you're moving through it, you know, and all of a sudden everybody thinks you're something special and they want your autograph and all that. You get this, this delusion, you know, that you are special or you are something. The reality of it is it's just my occupation. Um, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm proud of it. I still, my Jersey hangs, I got pictures, I got things like that. But what I'm more proud of is the character that being a baseball player has built inside me today. That's what I'm most proud of. So being a baseball player was just a big step to what, what is ahead. And I wish more guys in the game right now would be involved in people in organizations like ours, you know, and help out. Um, but I, and I also wish, and I hope that, you know, along the way they're thinking beyond the game, like, what can I do? Because this game has been so good to me. What can I do to make sure that the game is still healthy and the people that are involved in the game are assisted when needed assistance? Well said. Thank you. Well, you want to add to that? Yeah, just, you know, Jeff, you had mentioned Cal Sr. I remember him coming to Instructional League when I signed in 77 and it was towards the end. And he said, hey, when you guys go home, uh, people do camps or clinics. Um, go out and work. You know, go out and teach kids what you you've learned from us because that and, and and he didn't use pay it forward but it basically was the pay it forward concept and you've talked about it all day you know th those who help us we go help others that grows the game in a really positive way and um you know great answer on your uh what is baseball too so thank you Jeff, thanks so much for today. I mean, we had you on for almost an hour here, and, and you gave our mission here on this show is to build better baseball IQs. Uh, again, we're hitting grassroots to parents, to you know, to the college level, all the way up to the front office. And um, you hit on a great thing. I say to my children all the time, it's all about teachable moments. And I think you gave our audience many teachable moments today. We wish you continued success. And we'll actually, my, my son and I will be visiting you in December. We'll be down at the infield camp down there oh, in Charlotte. So we're excited to... Trent Mongero, one of yep. the best. If anybody's out there and looking to go, this you will get valuable, valuable information and practice programs from him. In our audience, look at our show notes. We'll have all the ways that you can reach Jeff and his organization and the different components of it. And please tune into the Schaefer Baseball Report. You'll continue to receive uh, weekly nuggets on on Jeff's programs, plus mainly the college recruiting scene. If I'm correct in saying that. Yes. Um, right. Jeff, thanks again, guys. Great show as usual. Episode 59 right here. Real Voices of the Game is in the books. We'll see you next time. Enjoyed it, guys. Yeah.